Okay. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to our How to Grow Equipping class. Is there any new faces here? I'm trying to see. I don't think so. Everyone, if you, is this your first time to How to Grow? Okay, good. Well, welcome back. Um, so we're going through spiritual disciplines. Um, what are the spiritual disciplines that help us to grow as Christians into spiritual maturity? Now, these spiritual disciplines are practices that God has called us to implement, that we may grow in righteousness, trust, and dependence on Him, and, and in love for His people. So far, we've covered you know, an introduction to the spiritual disciplines, why we're doing that, but also looking at reading our Bible, praying, confessing sin, serving. So we've covered some of those, and if you want to find out more, if you, you missed any of those, they are on the podcast. So uh, you can go back and get up to speed if you missed a class. But the point of these spiritual disciplines is obviously not a checklist of things to do in order to help us not feel guilty, right? Um, the point of this class is to face up to God's Word and consider seriously how He calls us to orient and fashion our lives, but they don't save us. They're not a way of earning God's favor or paying God back for what He's given us, because what He's given us is given freely in Christ. Um, faith in Christ alone saves us from our sin and restores us to God. But the disciplines picture the kind of life that springs forth from a heart that has been redeemed. We are covering these because we have received a sure salvation and a glorious inheritance through, through Christ's death and resurrection. So we want to live in a way that brings Him glory and that gives evidence of our trust in Him and to point others to Him. And so spiritual disciplines are a way that we do that. Uh, we read God's Word because we want to know Him and how to obey Him in a way that pleases God and to just find out more about His character in the Scriptures. We also pray to show our dependence on God. Um, and we confess sin. Um, we've been saved from sin. But as we still battle with our flesh, we still need to take that time to confess our sin to one another and repent of, of sin as well. So we should have that indwelt, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have that indwelt desire to reach on to holiness. And the Holy Spirit helps us move forward in that. So these, these disciplines help us with the sanctification process that the Holy Spirit uh, is prompting us toward. Um, so, with that short introduction, I want us to move on to today's subject, a new spiritual discipline for this morning, and that is the discipline of stewardship. I'm going to point us to the Baptist Faith and Message, Article 13. There is one on stewardship, if you didn't know that, in the Faith and Message. It says this, God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to Him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve him with their time, 
talents, and material possessions, and should recognize all these as entrusted to them to use for the glory of God and for helping others. According to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. So that's, that's what our own documents say about stewardship. Um, so quite a good encapsulation there of the concept at least. But if you want an even shorter definition, how about this? Stewardship is taking responsibility for the things the Lord has entrusted to us. Taking responsibility for the things the Lord has entrusted to us. So expand on that. It's being faithful with them. A steward is a person who manages someone else's property. Someone who takes care of something. A caretaker, if you will. When you're put in charge of someone else's stuff, you handle it with care. Especially if that person has authority over you. And as Christians, we understand that in a very real sense, everything that we have was given to us by God. And so, don't take my word for it, though. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture that I am confirming, not that confirm my opinion, right? That's the white way around, right? So let's first look at James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. How about Haggai 2.8? The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And then a really good one here picked out from Chronicles a little longer one here, 1 Chronicles 29, 10-16, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O God, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all these, all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for a building. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, o Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. And and is all your own. So in every word, in other words, God gives us everything we own. He calls us now to use our gifts he's given, he's given to us wisely, faithfully, and for his glory. But think of it like, think of this though. 
even when we give back to him, it's from the gifts he's already provided to us. Did you know that when the Israelites built the tabernacle in the wilderness, they built it with materials they had actually plundered from the Egyptians as they were rescued from slavery? So in a way, we're like that still today, is that we operate out of the abundance of goodness that God gives to us when he frees us from the slavery of sin. Think about the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. We won't read the whole parable, but hopefully you're familiar with it. I just want to focus in on um, the last section there. Um, because it's something that we would want Jesus to say to us um, as a master saying to his faithful servant. It says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. For to everyone who has, will more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. From the one who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. So we want to be that faithful servant with what he's given to us. Okay, so now we come to the interactive portion, which I warned many of you about. Uh, <clears throat> so you'll notice in your outline we have a section for stewardship of final, financial assets, stewardship of time, Stewardship of relationships, stewardship of the gospel, and stewardship of spiritual gifts. That's five ways in which we can be faithful to the ultimate command regarding stewardship. Right? Five different ways. Think about them. Financial, time, relationships, of the gospel, and of spiritual gifts. I guarantee you, I have studied and prepared too much material to fit into one session. So I need your help. And we'll make it democratic. Okay? We're going to probably get to three or four of them. But I want to know, this is mix and match time. You don't have to follow the outline in exact chronicle order. I want to ask you, by show of hands, which one do you most want to hear about? First of all. So think. I'm giving you a minute here. Do you want to hear about financial assets, time, relationships, gospel, or spiritual gifts first? And we may get to them all. I doubt it, but just wanted to see, kind of take the pulse and see what you guys might want to hear about first. And then we might, we'll, we'll continue, we'll do another vote and we'll go to the next section as well. So by a show of hands, who wants to hear about stewardship of financial assets first? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. How about time? Stewardship of time first. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. All right. Uh, relationships. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eleven. Oh, that's, that's leading now. Uh, the gospel. One, two, three. All right, three. Well, okay, not very spiritual people in here. Okay, spiritual gifts. You got it twice. <laughs> okay, so relationships is the winner. So we're going to start there. Don't worry, each one of these studies is 
uh, its own its its own contained little lesson. I just have to scroll to it in my here we are. Okay, so with that in, in mind, just sort of the overarching concept behind stewardship that everything is God's, He's given it to us, and we're to be good stewards stewards of it, whatever it might be. And that when we are, we're really just giving back to Him a portion of what He's already provided to us. So thinking of that overarching umbrella um, concept, let's dig in a little bit to stewardship of relationships. God is a relational being and seeks communion with His creation. He makes covenants with His people and He's faithful to those covenants. In His wisdom and graciousness, He gives us relationships to steward so that we can be a faithful representation of His covenantal faithfulness to the world. Let's look at a few types of relationships in which we can be faithful stewards. I've uh, actually got three. I'm sure there are others. First one we'll look at is stewardship of marital relationships. And I'm going to use Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 as the text here. What a beautiful description we have of the concept of deep relational stewardship that we have in this passage. The husband and wife relationship is interwoven with how Christ treats his church. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a beautiful picture there. Some of these passages I'm going to read, we could have entire sermons and lessons about. We could go verse by verse, word by word. But I just want you to think about them and look at them in light of stewardship. How they instruct us to be a steward of, in this case, our marital relationships. Look at it from that perspective. So a marital relationship is stewarded by servant-hearted love. It's also by sanctifying with the word. That's another way to steward a relationship. And also with humble submission. 
Throughout the scriptures, marriage relationship is used as a paradigm for the faithfulness to God and of God. We see that uh, the Israelites were often criticized for their uh, infidelity in their covenantal relationship with God. And how God, on, in the other, on the other hand, was continually faithful to them. In the same way, we steward our marital relationship with faithfulness. So I urge you married people, if you're in here and you're married, to treasure, to care for and steward your marriages well. Yeah, we do that for each other and in a sense for ourselves, for our own sanctification. But one of the most important reasons we cherish that relationship is because of its witness to the world of God's covenantal faithfulness. The world will see that relationship and they'll see it as an example of how God is faithful to us. That's why we protect it so well, so much in, uh, in things like church discipline. That's one of the things that we focus on is helping people or through all stages of church discipline um, if they're struggling to keep that marriage covenant together we want to come around them and make sure we protect that relationship that marriage covenant so that we protect that in uh, in the church another uh, relationship we want us to look at is parental relationships and we look at Ephesians 6 1 to 4 here again everything we have is a gift from God right so children are a gift from the Lord and we are to steward them according to his commands. We get them temporarily for a period of time in which we can, we, we can exercise that spiritual discipline of stewardship with our children. Look at Deuteronomy 6. This is a good way that we can steward them. Is to teach them the way of the Lord at every opportunity. It's from our mouth that they should hear of the gospel. And from our example that they should see it lived out. Not just hearing the words, but seeing that we live it out. And that we truly believe and are faithful to the Lord. Even, even to the point of when we sin, we exhibit repentance and restoration. Um, but as we look into the Ephesians 6 passage, we see that both the child... And the parent have a responsibility to steward that relationship. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So there's the child's part of the stewardship of the relationship is obedience and submission. But then it goes on to say, Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is how fathers and mothers too steward that relationship. Um, we could go into the words discipline and instruction there. Extremely uh, helpful if you go into the Greek of, of what Paul is trying to angle with those using those two words. I challenge you to go away and, and look at those words but um, very helpful for me as a father to know them <clears throat> so if you have physical children I'm asking you are you stewarding them well like this 
But for those who don't have physical children, what about those of us who have spiritual children? Over time, as we mature as Christians, we should be looking to disciple others and raise spiritual children up in Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember how lovingly the Apostle John speaks to his flock as little children. Oh, he used that terminology all the way through 1 John, or 1 John, as I should say. Um, And I think, you know, as we go through that process, um, I think one of the most joyous things about stewardship of those uh, spiritual children is seeing the fruit grow in their lives as, as we disciple one of, one of our fellow brothers and sisters, and we see the joys and the blessings of the Christian life flourish. Um, if even good times and bad times, there's just a, a, just a joy in that and a fulfillment in, in being a steward of our brother and sister like that. And that brings me to um, the stewardship of that relationship too, the, one, the stewardship of the relationships we have within the body of Christ. What I call one anothering, uh, an aspect of discipleship. Did you know that there are 100 mentions of the phrase one another in the New Testament? And if you look at it from this perspective, that those one another's teach us how to steward the relationship we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not going to read uh, all 100 right now because... That would take a while. Um, but let's look at some of them, just to give us a, a primer to uh, how we can treat one another and steward our relationship. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Be of the same mind as one another. Think about how you can do that. Confess sins to one another. Don't complain against one another. Don't envy one another. List will go goes on for another ninety-six one another's. But if you meditate on each one and you truly live them out as you as you grow in your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how you steward that relationship. And it's important that we do. <clears throat> Message is clear anyway that the relationship in the new covenant is one to be stewarded well. John 13, 34 to 35 says it like this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So good stewardship of the relationships we have within the body of Christ can be a powerful witness to the watching world. Okay, any questions or comments about stewardship of relationships? There are other relational bonds that we have that we can be good stewards of. But I just wanted to look at those three. But any questions? Comments? Okay. Yes? Do you know a good resource for looking up and meditating on the one another's you're talking about? No. The Bible. Okay. <laughs> good.
That may almost always be my answer. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, yeah, just do a word search, phrase search. Um, good question, though. All right, what was, what was second? Second in votes? Time. Time? Time management was second? Okay. Okay, so now you flip back over to the second page there. Alright, so we're going to talk about stewardship of time. Talking of time, checking time check. God gives everybody the same experience of time. The same time-space continuum is the reality in which we all exist. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, all have the same duration for each of us. But the way each one of us passes the time is completely different. Some of us this morning will have gone up early with the kids, cooked breakfast, read the sermon passage, prayed through it, um, taken a shower, got dressed, and then driven to church. That may have been what you've done. Or, some of you will have hit your alarm six times, checked the news headlines, checked their social media accounts, slammed some coffee down, and thrown on some clothes and then come to church. Different ways of stewarding the same time period, right? Most of us do this without much thought. But have you ever thought of time as a gift from God? He certainly thinks of it as something he has given to us to steward faithfully. Let's first look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. I think it encourages us as people of light to view time completely differently than the way the world looks at it. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we should look to steward the time given to us as a way to seek and carry out the Lord's will. This is an area in which we should have a certain sense of urgency, an eschatological an, uh, aspect to it. It, it, it. We should have an impending sense of the Lord's return when we think of time. Look how Paul encourages the Thessalonians in chapter 5. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the light or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So it is now that we keep awake, that we keep encouraging one another, and we keep building one another up. I ask you, do you make time for these spiritual disciplines that we've discussed this week and in previous weeks? Do you keep on your toes, stay awake? Do you redeem the time? I ask you now, um, and this is open question time, what can we do to ensure that we're managing our time well and taking stock of where we're spending our time? Any tips, pointers you can share? Something you do, perhaps? Use calendars. Calendars. That's good. Yes. We do that too, that's good. Helpful, we have one out on the kitchen counter, kind of, you know, Erica makes appointments and I do, and then we just write it down so we kind of know where we're going to be and what we're doing on any given day. It's helpful. Right. So, like, on time for weekly. Yeah, having a, a designated time each week to plan the week. That's good. Any other time management tips? I'll tell you one thing I do. I got this thing, this phone. Uh, and then um, if I swipe all the way to the left, it gives me screen time. And it enables me to go back and take stock of where I've spent my time. Do some analysis and kind of like, okay, well I spent two hours playing that game today or something. Maybe a better use of my time would have been reading my Bible or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just tools like that, just helpful to kind of take stock of how we've stewarded our time. All right, moving on to the uh, subject of spending our time at work. Many of us spend a lot of time at work. And it can seem to some of us that working in the secular world is not a good way to steward our time, potentially. There could be some conflict there. Perhaps we would be rather be working in the ministry. But Scripture in its sufficiency has some guidance on this question too. It says in Colossians 3, 23-24, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Look at these words carefully. It clearly says that in whatever you do, If you work heartily, sincerely as to the Lord, you are serving Christ. So whether you're a student or a professor, 
a waiter or a restaurant owner, a lay elder or a staff elder, whether you're a homeschooler or a teacher, steward your time by serving the Lord in sincerity of heart. And I have to tell you, personal testimony, this knowledge has helped me through many a hard, thankless job, unspiritual job. Um, it's kept my attitude right, knowing that this kind of work is a good use of my time, if it's done to the Lord. You know, if you're providing for your family or um, looking after your, your family or um, even if you're sin- just sincerely being a good steward of the time that God's given you to look ahead and uh, prepare for how you can serve Him. Um, just be encouraged that work is to the Lord. <clears throat> Remember, it's a pre, pre-fall mandate as well. For creation. I mean, not for creation. For the fall. Um, okay. Moving on to another subject about stewardship of time. To do with counting the cost as Christians and subjugating everything we do uh, to our now our role as, as a Christian. So in the same way we may consider, some people may consider money to be the own, their own, many also consider their time to be their own, to do with whatever they want, however they want. But for the Christian, this is not the case. We need to be excellent time managers of the time that God has given to us. We should understand that this is what we're signing up for when we submit our lives as living sacrifices to Christ. Let's look at Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, as we all do, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he's able to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate? whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think this is a very clever illustration and and, um, parable that has within it wrapped up a couple of concepts here. Uh, and not only teaches that we should count the cost of discipleship, and that's clearly the main point here, but also wrapped up in that illustration is how carefully and intentionally we should count the cost. Uses those illustrations of an architect looking to build a tower or a king looking to fight a war. There are certain considerations there which you really have to look ahead So I believe that we should make it a 
spiritual discipline to plan out our time. Every day, every week, every month, plan as carefully as an architect building a tower or a king going to war. In what ways can we use our time to pray, to study, to teach, to learn, to encourage, to serve? This is all part of spiritual discipline of stewardship of time. Alright, any questions about stewardship of time? Dan, it's helpful. Appreciate the comment. <clears throat> okay, what was third? Anybody remember? What did we vote as third? Finance. Finance? Okay. Good. Alright, so we're going to move on to stewardship of finances. And as it's 10 to 10, we'll see if we get beyond this or not. Okay. So in accordance with our introduction today, if you remember all way back when, that was, you know, a few minutes ago, we learned that our money is not our own. In our culture, hearing those words can be offensive. We live in a country 
that prides itself on being made up of hard-working, pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of people. It's part of the American dream, is it not? And believe me, I know, I know what it's like. Uh, I'm an immigrant to this country, and I came to this country literally with just the clothes on my back. I had to find the lowest paying, hard, manual labor job just to get my foot in the door, and then work my way up through uh, the years to be able to earn a living for my family. Um, many of you also, maybe even all of you, work painstakingly hard for your paychecks. Um, we put in long hours to try and get ahead. If we didn't do the work, we wouldn't have the money we have, right? But this is what I love about the Bible. It reveals to us what is ultimately going on. It reveals the deeper truths and the bigger picture. With respect to our money, the deepest truth and the biggest picture is the source of everything we make is actually the sovereign God. We can trace everything that we have back to his hand. We are only stewards of the resources God has given to us. We're not the owners. That means that the primary determination of how we use our money shouldn't be our own personal choice or our own desires, but God's word. Our question should be, our question should not be, how much of my money can I give to God, but rather, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Consider for a moment a passage uh, in Luke, verses 10 to 13. It says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then... You have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Who will entrust you with the true riches? And you have not been faithful in that which is another's. Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So our use of money is a primary way of evaluating our relationship with Christ. What do our bank statements, credit card statements say about us? They can be as much of a track of where our heart is than anything else. Day by day, just go through those bank statements and see those things coming in. Remember, the scripture also says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If someone looked after our death back through where we spent our money, what kind of picture could they draw of us as a person if they knew nothing else? Would they be able to track through your expenditures and your management of money faithfulness to Christ? Remember Zacchaeus, who gave half his money to the poor and repaid everyone he ever wronged four times over. Then remember the rich young ruler, who at thought of parting with his riches, went away sad. One made money his God, and the other made money his servant. One held money with a closed tight fist, and the other opened his hand out of love for God. 
Again, our treatment of money should be highly eschatological. And by that I mean we should handle it with the end in mind. Not hoarding it like hidden treasures of a greedy pirate. Ahar. Pirate. My dad came from Brazils, where they came from, you know. <clears throat> but knowing that God should co- could come for us at any time. Let's look at Luke 12. It says, And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Obviously, this passage is not saying YOLO uh, and that you can fritter your life and your money away as soon as possible and in, in whatever you want. Obviously, that too is selfishness and therefore idolatry. But also, you should not cling to it as one clings to a hidden idol. Rather looking to use it for the kingdom of God. So if that's kind of how we shouldn't act in the sense of hoarding it, then how should we use it? We can look to, again to scripture for a couple of examples here. Um, let's look at some commands that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 it says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely... He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So Paul encourages, encourages the church to give generously and cheerfully. And he does this in contrast to a couple of other attitudes. Which is giving with reluctance or out of compulsion. Can someone answer me this? What does it look like to give generously and cheerfully? Without expectation? Yep. How about what does it look like to give reluctantly or out of compulsion? I share an example from my own life about out of compulsion. For a while there, I went to churches where they would say that if you sowed a seed that you would you would get back a hundredfold and um, if you gave them a certain amount of money then you would be blessed in uh, in 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 the same way back to yourself and there was this 
give and take which kind of pushed you into this compulsive giving that was not from the heart of the way scripture encourages us to give it was from that idea of that we we get something back just as you were saying um Another way we should give is sacrificially. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generos- generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means... Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you... See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he might become rich. So the Macedonian Christians here were not rich, but they still gave generously, still gave sacrificially, Obviously, giving sacrificially isn't sacrificial unless it's a sacrifice. Does your giving cause you to make different choices on how you live? Sacrifice comes with a cost. It causes us to forego or delay things that we want for the sake of giving to God's kingdom. For giving to be sacrificial, it must hit home. It needs to affect the way we live and the decisions we make. It is most likely going to be inconvenient. It might mean going without something we really, really want. Or putting off doing something we've always wanted to do. Not always a big fan of bucket lists. That's just a personal thing. I I think it feeds in here. When we consider what our God has done for us in Christ, the needs of people in our church and the need for the gospel around the world... Will we really be sorry on that last day that we gave up a little bit of comfort for the sake of God's kingdom? I don't think we will. I think we'll wish we gave more. So let's look at how we use our money through the lens of eternal consequences. And then, very quickly, our last two sections on stewardship of finances. Another characteristic of Christian giving is circumspection. We don't want to give as a show to others of how holy and generous we are. And just caveat, this is my personal opinion. I'm not a huge fan of the offering plate being passed. And it's, again, what I talked about previously in in my previous um, churches that I've been to where they misused it and there was a lot of pressure people to put stuff in the offering by and everyone else is watching as it goes by I sort of have an allergy to it in one sense I prefer maybe online giving or a box at the back of the church but um, it just feeds into that to me you know it gives me that idea of 
um, giving in public and as a show. Um, and that's probably just me, though, so don't worry about it too much. But let's look at Matthew 6, uh, 1 to 4. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So just a quick check. Does your giving reflect that kind of circumspection? Are you giving in secret? And then finally, make sure your, your giving is planned, but not legalistic. There's a distinction there. It can be planned, but it shouldn't be legalistic. See how Paul directs the churches at Galatia and Corinth. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so are also you to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up in keeping with his income so that there will be no collecting when I come. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. A few things to notice from this passage. It's packed. It says, each one of you should do this. So all who claim to be believers are expected to express their stewardship of God's money in this by giving in a planned and systematic way. We should be giving in good times and bad times, if we're working full-time or part-time. But do notice there's a caveat. It says the giving should be in keeping with your income. Some people believe that 10% is a good place to start. But that's, to me, rather an arbitrary number. Uh, considering that we have, what we've understood from the overall teaching on stewardship, 10% isn't necessarily a measure of faithfulness. It may be, less, may be that less than 10% is faithful. It may be that more than 10% is faithful. Probably more uh, in, in, our, in our current culture. But that's not to say. I mean, that's what we're going to go into here. More important than the actual percentage is the way in which we're giving. Is it sacrificial? Is it generous? Is it cheerful? Is it without compulsion? It may be very well that the case that 10% is not a ceiling, but a floor to move up from. In other circumstances, giving less than that might actually be a tremendous sacrifice for you. Legalistically giving 10% each month misunderstands the whole point of freely giving generous giving or spiritually sensitive giving I encourage you to sit down each month with your budget and if you have them with your spouse and if you have them with your children teach them about what it means to support gospel work both locally and broadly look for special benevolence opportunities talk about what you can give in order And what you can give up in order to give more. Pray and ask for guidance so that giving becomes a real spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. Look in wonder and anticipation as God graciously uses what you've given. 
from what he's given to you to do his work. There's more we could talk about stewardship of finances, but we're at the end of time. Any questions, though, on stewardship of finances? I mean, there's a few things we didn't get to here, but you know, savings is obviously in, involves within it some certain me- a measure of prudence. And where a prudent man looketh well to his going um, is another scripture passage. In that there are certain events in life that require a certain amount of funds in order to be good stewards and prudent stewards. It's wise to save. Um, children go through college. Um, some of us committed to debt-free lives so you have to save to have make big purchases in that case um and so i think as long as you've uh prayed about that looked ahead and your planning is in line with what broadly what is in the will of god then saving is actually a very prudent thing to do and and like i said it's not just yellow and just blow it all so it's a wise thing to do um and, you know, also consider that about debt as well. That's another thing I could go into about good stewardship. Having a heavy load of debt makes you um, dependent on others um, for that. And, and just think through whether that's a wise spiritual thing to do is, is get into heavy debt as well. So, yeah, good, good question. Okay, well, we uh, didn't get to... Stewardship of the gospel and stewardship of spiritual gifts. Maybe we can do that another time. But uh, I do have some questions for reflection there at the end of your outline. Please take them away and pray and think about those honestly. Um, But yeah, um, stewardship. It's a good spiritual discipline. I encourage you to think through that as we go through this week. I'm going to close this in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I do thank you that you have given us everything. Lord, we thank you that we get to give give back to what you've given to us for the purpose of your kingdom. Uh, Lord, you're such a gracious God. And we do not want to presume upon your graciousness by assuming that what we have is our own. Lord, help us not to idolize money or time or serve ourselves with these things, but serve you and serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.